happening. And as we look at these world events, as we look at these things that are happening around us, sometimes we ask ourselves, or sometimes we are troubled by what we see. And we wonder, how long are these types of things going to happen? And we're troubled by them. Jesus, in his humanity, dealt with the emotion of distress of what future events would hold, or what the future might bring. And it ought to be, and it can be, comforting to us to know that Jesus had to deal with fears just as we do, if not the same fears, in his case, very deadly fears. This morning, when I think about this question, was Jesus ever troubled by the future? And as we think about this question, was Jesus ever troubled by the future, I want us this morning to think about what was troubling Jesus. I want us to notice some principles for dealing with troubling times. And finally, I want us to think about this morning what we can do to deal with fears in the future. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to John chapter 12, verses 27 through 36. And as you turn to John chapter 12, verses 27 through 36, this is where we find that Jesus is troubled. Notice the language that Jesus uses here in John chapter 12 and verse 27. John chapter 12 and verse 27. Jesus says, Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. The crowd then answered him, We have heard out of the law that the Christ has remained forever. How can you say that the Son of Man will be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke. And he went away and hid himself from them. As we look at this passage, we notice, first of all, we ask ourselves the question, well, how deeply was Jesus troubled? And that's a fair question. I mean, Jesus has a conversation with the crowd. He seems to be fine here. But just how deeply troubled was he? And I suggest to you that Jesus was, was greatly troubled. He says, my soul is troubled. The NIV says, I'm troubled in my heart. But that's more than just being spooked by a movie or a shadow or, or, or some incident. This is something that Jesus says is in his innermost being. And as we look at the text of what Jesus says here, the conversation he has with the crowds, he knows that he's about to die. And not only does he know that he's about to die, he knows what kind of death he is going to die. Because it says, if I lift myself up, or if I'm lifted up. And John tells us that he meant the kind of way that he was going to die. And evidently the crowds knew it too. Did you notice that? 
because they asked the question, hey, the Son of Man remains forever. How is it that he's going to be lifted up? So Jesus knew. And we can look at other passages in the New Testament where Jesus talks about the fact, hey, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed and he's going to be killed at the hands of the Gentiles. Jesus knew that he was going to die. Can you imagine what it would be like to walk around this earth for 30, 30 years, 33 years, 35 years maybe, uh, and know what your fate was going to be? Not, not just some vague idea, yeah, I'm going to die someday. I mean, we all have that. But to know that there are going to be some men that are going to grab you, that, that are going to uh, scourge you, that are going to take nails and, and, and drive them with a hammer through the bones of your wrist and through the bones of your feet. When you enter that final week, that final few hours before that happens, would your soul be troubled? Even if you knew the outcome, my father's going to raise me up from the dead, I'm going to be back in heaven in, in, in 40 more days. Maybe that's what keeps, keeps you going. But knowing what the next few hours are going to be for you physically, Jesus wasn't just a little scared because he saw a scary movie or something ran across the ceiling and it kind of startled you. He was terrified, or he was troubled, deeply troubled, with what was going to happen. The term trouble that's being used here by the New American Standard has a range of uses in its 17 appearances in the New Testament. Sometimes it means to be distressed. Sometimes it means, in a literal sense, to be stirred. Uh, sometimes it means to be terrified. We can think of some of the examples. For instance, the, the idea of terror. We see, for instance, in Matthew chapter 23, uh, when Herod uh, is going to have all the little babies uh, uh, killed, and Jerusalem and Bethlehem and all the areas around him are terrified because they know Herod was a nut job. Uh, this was a guy that had people killed whenever he was, had any suspicion uh, that they were going to uh, uh, try to uh, take his life or, or try to take his kingdom. And, and so uh, he was terrified. We see in the, in the gospel accounts when Jesus is coming to the disciples uh, on the waves or, or, or coming to the disciples when they don't expect him. Sometimes it says they were terrified. They thought, no. I don't think Jesus was terrified in that sense, but he was distressed. There is the idea of a literal steer, steering. John chapter 5, verse 6, the man at the pool is waiting for the water to be stirred. And, and so there's that idea. But then there's a figurative sense of stirring, and that's what Jesus seems to be using here. It's the idea of being distressed, being, being troubled. Jesus used it elsewhere, John chapter 11, verse 33. Uh, there's four times where it seems somewhat ambiguous into how it's being used here. Uh, John 12, 27, 13, 21, 14, 1, 14, 27. Uh, the idea is being distressed, but there's a level of fear that goes with that distress, right? We're entering the fun time of the year weather-wise here in North Texas, right? There are times when we're going to be distressed. There are times that we're going to be stirred as we're watching our favorite news channel and watching where the thunderstorms are going and what's involved in those thunderstorms, right? It's okay to be distressed. You're stirred. You're distressed. You have a little bit of fear. You're not necessarily terrified unless the weatherman calls your street out, right? But you're distressed, and you're watching that. Jesus says, I am troubled in my soul. 
in my innermost being. As we look at other terms applied to Jesus as he faced the cross in, in, in the sense that he's more than just a little concerned. Notice, for instance, Matthew chapter 26, verse 37. Let's flip over there. Matthew chapter 26. And verse 37. Matthew tells us that he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. The idea of grieve means emotional pain. He had emotional pain here in the Garden of, uh, of Gethsemane as he's about to pray before his arrest. The idea of grieving, emotional pain. You know, you have different levels of, of pain emotionally, but this is a high level of emotional pain. Now, think about what Jesus is about to endure. His father is going to allow him to be sacrificed on the cross. The son is going to disappear, and the day is going to turn black, as if God is figuratively turning his back on Jesus and the sin that's now upon Jesus as he hangs on that cross. He's going to be in a tomb for three days, separated physically and spiritually from his father. An individual who, in his spiritual state as God, has reigned in heaven eternally. We can't imagine it. You know what's interesting? As you watch toddlers and young children, they go through phases, right? They have their daddy phase. They have their mommy phase. But they have those phases where, if hey, if mom or dad leaves the room, I'm in a panic, right? Don't give me grandma, right? You remember that phase when not even grandma could satisfy? You know, uh, they have that panic phase where there's that separation because that's all they've known. Jesus is being separated from his father as he hangs on that cross and as he goes into that tomb separated because of our sin that's upon him. His soul was deeply grieved. And then Matthew uses a term that's used only a couple other places to talk about that distress. And again, the New American Standard translates it distressed. We see a similar language in Mark chapter 14, verse 33, which is Mark's account of what took place in the garden. Notice what Jesus says uh, according to Mark, Mark chapter 14 and, and verse 33. Mark says almost verbatim what Matthew says. He took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And, and so uh, Mark uses a different word for grieve here, which means to be greatly distressed. And again, this idea of a great stirring of the soul. Look at Luke chapter 22, verse 44. Look at Luke's account of what took place in that garden, or leading up to the garden in this case. This is leading up to the garden, Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 and verse 44. Notice how Jesus describes it here, and how Luke describes it. This is in the garden, this part. It says, and being in agony, he was praying fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling upon the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. 
and said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you will not again fall into temptation. I don't know about you, but I've never prayed so hard that I sweat as if I'm dropping great, bloods of, great drops of blood upon the ground. I can't think of the last time I've sweated that, that, that hard, you know, <laughs> even from physical work. You know, last summer I had to change out some fence posts around my house in the middle of August. I think I sweated then, but not that much. Jesus is praying so hard because he's concerned about what he's about to endure. The text says that he's in agony, being in so much agony that he sweated so much it was like great drops of blood falling upon the ground. Jesus, as he tells his disciples of how he's feeling, is expressing to them how great, greatly distressed he is. This word agony in Luke chapter 22, verse 44, means not physical pain or fear of mortal death, but great inner tension in the face of imminent decisions or disaster. Was this going to be a disaster for Jesus? Not spiritually. Jesus knew how it was all going to end, but it was certainly a disaster for him physically. He knew what was going to come to him. And so Jesus has all these emotions and these concerns and this distress as he's facing what's going to happen. Finally, think about Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. This to me is a very enlightening passage about Jesus as he contemplated what he would endure as he faced the cross. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Have you ever thought about that? That Jesus offered up loud prayers with crying and tears as he faces death. Sometimes, you know, we think about Jesus, and we think, well, you know, he knew what was going to come. There are some people that believe that Jesus didn't know what was going to come, but very clearly as you read the New Testament, you read those four Gospels, you, it becomes apparent ahead of time. Jesus knows very well from, very, from the very first day what he was facing. But sometimes, you know, we come to worship and we come to Bible class or maybe we're at home or we're in our car or wherever we're at and, and we think about Jesus and it's so hard for us to put ourselves in Jesus' place, obviously. But we have some mental concepts of Jesus and we think about Jesus and we're, we're grateful for what he did and we're happy for our sakes that, that he did that. But it's hard for us to imagine emotionally carrying the burden of what he was to do and what that would mean for him physically, that we don't really stop to think about the fact that here's Jesus crying out, and the Hebrew writer says, with loud cries and tears, sobbing, as he knew what he was going to endure. And yet he never once runs away from it. 
Father, not what I will, but your will be done. If there's any other way, Father, let that happen. But before you make it happen, let your will be done. That's how much he loved you and me. That's how much he loved you, that he was still willing to endure all of those things. The Hebrew writer goes on to say here, verse 8, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. He was obedient. He followed through with the plan, even though he knew what was coming. But he was distressed. Now that we see Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, and we go back to John chapter 12, and we see, you know, John just makes it sound like a simple statement. Hey, guys, I'm troubled deeply within my soul. Okay, Jesus, well, why is that? But then we plug in Hebrews chapter 5 and we realize how much he really meant when he said, I am troubled within my soul or my innermost being. He was being very honest and sincere with his disciples and his apostles, letting them know, guys, this is a big deal. What's about to happen? And being truly concerned and aware of what his body was about to endure and the pain that he was going to go through. Perhaps Jesus is not terrified, but all these terms point to the fact that Jesus was aware of what his fate would mean for him physically and the pain and suffering that was going to come, and the horror that was going to come. It was more than a second thought. It was something that was deeply troubling to him. All of these examples outside of John seem to be at the garden. John 12 occurs, of course, just prior to the garden. And Jesus tells his disciples what's going to take place, and even the type of death. The next question for us is, well, how did Jesus deal with his distress? Jesus did not let his distress Take him away from his mission. Notice again, as we come back to, to John chapter 12, notice again how Jesus remains focused on his mission and his work. John chapter 12, verse 27. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Jesus did not run away from what he had to do. He stayed focused. And he was willing to endure it. And he did endure it. He did not ignore the anxiety or try to hide it. He talks to his apostles about it. He shares with his apostles what he's about to go through. He cries out to the Father. And the Father glorifies him. Verse 28. At the end of this text in John chapter 12, we see that Jesus went away and hid himself. Did you notice that? In verse, uh, verse 36, the very second part of verse 36, these things, Jesus spoke, him, these things Jesus spoke, and he went away and he hid himself from them. Isn't that interesting? Jesus left the situation of the crowds that were doubting him, who said, what about the Son of Man? The Son of Man is supposed to be with us forever. Uh, he evidently even leaves his apostles perhaps here. And that may be strange to us, but remember Luke chapter 5 and verse 16 tells us that Jesus often would slip away and go to a lonely place for prayer. In fact, when you read through the Gospel of Luke, you see that a couple different times, that Jesus would go to a lonely mountain by himself to pray. That's why sometimes the apostles were terrified. 
because they would see Jesus walking to them on the, the Sea of Galilee. Because he told them to go on, and he went up on a mountainside to pray. Some of the verses tell us that he prayed all night. When was the last time you or I stayed up all night praying? But that's what Jesus did. And of course, the passage in Hebrews 5 tells us that that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is in prayer, praying. So Jesus shared his concerns and his anxiety with his dad, with his father, with God. The text does not teach that it's wrong to be deeply distressed. Sometimes we tell ourselves it's wrong to be distressed over what's coming down the line or what the future may hold. But Jesus is distressed here by the future, and it's not presented as something that's wrong. Rather, we see Jesus in the final hours aware of what he was facing, leaning ever more on the Father. Other passages in which we see uh, commands not to worry or to be anxious, use different words that mean to be unduly anxious or concerned. Jesus had every reason to be concerned. Sometimes there are things in our life in which we need to be concerned. You find out you're, you've got some disease or you're diabetic or, or some distress, you need to be concerned about that. Your doctor tells you you have a heart problem, you need to be concerned about that. You find yourself unemployed, you ought to be concerned about that. Right? You don't need to be three months out of it, out of a job thinking, huh, I wonder how we eat this month. It's good to be concerned on day one. Right? It's what do you do with that distress? It's how you cope with that distress that we ought to be concerned about. And so let's think about some principles for dealing with troubling times. First of all, it's okay to admit that you're struggling with distressing issues in your life. Jesus talked with his apostles about the fact that he was deeply troubled. And he tells them why he's deeply troubled. And so we recognize the important issues that are going on. Jesus facing a real death with real pain. Sometimes we need to verbalize and acknowledge to someone uh, that there are uh, troubles uh, that we are truly facing and that we're concerned about. Sometimes we need to admit to ourselves that we're dealing with the future that's concerning for us. Sometimes we're in denial. Right? And when you're in that state of denial, if you don't deal with things, you make things worse for yourself. So sometimes we need to admit that we're in a, a troubling situation. And just recently, uh, Joseph asked him, Dad, if you're lost in the woods, would you be scared? Yeah, I'd be scared. It's okay. It would be okay to be scared in that situation. Uh, you would get yourself in trouble if you're not scared in that situation. And there's certain steps that you would need to take. Uh, and, and so fear is a good thing. Distress is a good thing. And we need to share our concerns with others. Not necessarily everybody, right? You don't have to share your troubles with everybody because, frankly, there are some people that just don't care, right? Uh, there are some people that if you share your deep concerns with, with them, uh, they're going to react in a very negative, hostile way. They're not the people to share your concerns with. But we need to find those people that will sit down and listen to and hear our concerns, uh, not necessarily to be the fix-it man or the fix-it person, but just listen to what we're going through, the emotions uh, that we're facing, the concerns that we're facing. 
And we need to share those things from time to time with people close to us. We need to not let stress incapacitate. Remember what Jesus said? What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But Jesus says, it's this very hour that I came into this world. Sometimes what's distressing us can be uh, so uh, hazardous in our life that it keeps us from acting. It keeps us from moving, right? So you're watching that severe weather report uh, on the news. And if you're so scared and freaked out and concerned that you don't go get in the closet when you need to get in the closet, that's not a good thing for you. Don't let stress, concerns, fears, emotions keep you from acting when you need to act. And the final principle that we see in this story of Jesus is to spend time with God in prayer. There have been some that have made fun of the idea of thoughts and prayer. Jesus spent all night in prayer. There's nothing wrong, and there is, in fact, a need for us to spend time with God in prayer and to share with God all the anxieties. So what can we do to deal with fears of the future? First of all, we need to know that Jesus identifies with the terror of painful situations, decisions, and events. Sometimes we, we tell ourselves God doesn't understand, Jesus doesn't understand, because he's up there in heaven. He's an abstract concept. No, no. Jesus walked on this, on this earth. He walked, walked this soil. And all the emotions that we have ever felt or ever will feel, Jesus has felt, including distress and fear of the future and what's coming. Jesus knows what you're going through. Jesus has felt that himself. And it ought to be comforting to us to know that Jesus knows how we feel. Secondly, we need to be honest with ourselves, as we've already mentioned, as to the cause of the stress. Try to identify what is troubling you. Try to address the stress. Jesus left the situation. You know, did you notice that? When the crowds are asking Jesus, oh, the Son of Man's never going to do this, that, or that. And Jesus leaves that situation. He leaves them alone. He even leaves the apostles. Sometimes we need to leave a stressful situation if we have that capability, if we're able to do that. And then stay focused on our purpose and mission. There are things that can distract us. But we need to remember why God has us here. It's His servant and His mission of seeking and and helping others, and saving the lost. Finally, we need to be open to others. Let others know what you're going through. Articulate your concerns. Share the why of what's causing you distress. And we also need to be the other person. If someone comes to us and they want to share concerns with us and, and the stress that they're facing, we need to be that person that can sit there and quietly listen. And let that person share their concerns with us. We're not there to pass judgment or to give permission or to give our think, our thoughts on it, but to listen. And finally, we need to pray. Share with God not just a list of requests, but what's troubling us, why we feel this way, why we have this distress. And sometimes we need to spend much time with God in prayer. Sometimes we need to ask others pray with us and for us. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe there are concerns in, 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 your, in, in your life, things that are troubling you, things that are distressing you. And if that's the case this morning, we ask that you would help us pray with you.
Maybe you're here this morning and you're ready to be, become a Christian by being united with Jesus in baptism. And if that's your need as well, we'd love to help you do that as well. Whatever you need, won't you come? Gather with Sam and Sons.